of applause. Come on, they did great. All right, we are going to start in week four of our series we've been in called Relationship Goals. And this is the final week of it. And next week we start another sermon. But if you haven't been here before, if this is your first time here, that's okay. One, you can watch them online later if you wanted to. Two, I'm going to do a little recap today. Uh, And so, yeah, there you go. Even if you were here and you forgot already, which is quite possible for a lot of us. uh, We'll review that a little bit today. I wanted to uh, start out this way, though. Sometimes, um, well, oftentimes, we come to church or we go out to eat or we go somewhere and we encounter people. And what do we say when we see someone we know? Hello? And then ask them, how are you? And what do they say? I'm fine. And what do they say back to you? Yeah, that's it. That's all we get, right? And it's just a greeting that is here. It's what everyone does. We all do it. And have you ever had anyone tell you something different than that? How does that make you feel? Does it kind of throw you off? If you say, oh, how are you doing? And they go, terrible. Don't you kind of go, oh, that was more than I wanted to know. I wasn't prepared for that. This is just a greeting, right? And so we talk about this in church. We talk about other places. We are never meant to be people that put on a mask and act like everything is perfect. That is not what God told us to do. We're supposed to be open and share our emotions. And not to the point that you scream at someone. I don't want you to go to a checkout at HEB and the person asks you how you're doing and you yell at them, I am doing terrible. Don't do that. I mean, I guess you could. If you do, I want to, I'll video it. That'd be fun. But I want to be, from a point of honesty, I've tried to share this with you. When people ask me how I'm doing, for the past four months, I didn't know what to say. The answer was typically, I'm doing pretty bad. Or if I knew you, I'd say I'm doing pretty bad. If I didn't know you, I would tell you, well, I'm still here, right? And I want you to know, today's one of those days where if you ask me how I'm doing, I'm going to tell you, pretty terrible. So we're going to keep going because the one thing I get to do, even though I'm emotionally not doing okay, is preach because I love to talk about Jesus. So I wanted you to tell you that, not to, not to think, oh, we have to give Tommy slack, lower the bar. He's not in a good place. Just that know that I'm coming from a place that needs this as much, if not more, than you do, okay? So we're going to jump into this last week of relationship goals, and we're going to talk about them, and we're going to have you repeat some things we'll try to remember, right? So the first week we talked about being christ Centered. Can you say that with me? Christ-centered. Second week, we talked about being mission-driven. Mission-driven. Last week, we talked about being devil-fighting. Devil-fighting. And today, covenant-keeping. Covenant-keeping. Saddest response I've ever heard, man. We're going to do better next time, I promise. If you remember, the, the, the idea was that we want to develop relationship goals that helped us in all of our relationships, right? In our marriage and the relationships we have if we're dating, relationships we have with our children, with our neighbors, with our coworkers, with parents that have with their children, our children with their parents, back and forth, that this could apply to everything, not just what we have between a husband and wife. But we wanted to develop goals, real goals, healthy goals that would help us in that task. The reason I wanted to do that is because everyone has relationship goals. You do. We all do. But most of us, including me, sometimes our goals are not based on stuff that's going to help us grow closer to God, but based on an image that we see, right? Because you look at television or movies or online stuff. When I was growing up, do you know what image we had that we wanted to match to? J.C. Penney catalog. That was the image we had, right? Man, that's the hot fashion of the time. J.C. Penney's catalog, right? You flip through and you'd find that, and that, that's what you did. Then things started changing. Maybe you had the Sears catalog uh, 
catalog if you're older than me. Then television started, and you'd see people on TV, and we wouldn't wear what they wear. You didn't have all this stuff really advertising. You didn't have clothes company advertising. You just had people on TV. You thought, I want a jacket like that guy, or I want pants like that guy. I was young enough that when Michael Jackson was real, real big, right, just started out being real big, after Jackson 5, not sweet little Michael, but now we're talking about thriller version, right? I had to have a pair of parachute pants. Yeah. And I'm not going to show you the picture. I did one Sunday. I showed you the picture. I had parachute pants. I had a Michael Jackson t-shirt, sleeves cut off. I don't know what kind of shoes I had. I don't remember that. That wasn't as important. I had a glove. Oh, I had one glove too, yeah. Little, little, little chunky white kid doing some break dancing to Michael Jackson. Yeah. But why did I want that? Because I saw it. Right? I saw that. And we live in a culture that has always been that way. We see what people have and we say, I want that. Now, we know the Bible says not to covet, right? Not to uh, desire, covet our neighbor's donkey or something like that. So no, real that. It, you're not saying, I want, that, I want that one he's wearing. We say, I want one like that, right? I want what he's wearing. I want to look like she looks. I want to look like they look. I want my marriage to look like that marriage. I want my relationship with my children to look like that relationship, right? And that's where we get most of our relationship goals, is by looking at other people and other things and say, I want that. I want my family to look like that. They're perfect. They're happy. What do we always remember about those happy family pictures? Oh, hi. They're, 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 they're not really an accurate, they're just a glimpse of their life, right? Five minutes before, five minutes after, they're screaming at each other, they're bribing the kids of candy, threatening their lives. You will smile, or you know, right? That, that's it. And we see people in church or out on the town and this happily uh, married couple holding hands and everything looks perfect. But that was a glimpse. We don't know what's really going on at home. And so when we look at people and say, I want that, I want that goal, I'm looking at this guy, I want that. I see this married family on TV and they're perfect and I want that. Those are false goals. Those aren't real. And they're not something we're going to attain. Now we have influencers online who their whole purpose in life, and they make a lot of stinking money, is to tell you, this is what you should wear. This is what you should buy. This is how you should live. You need to eat this. And I don't know if they do that stuff or not, but I know that it works because they're getting paid a lot of money. Matter of fact, we're all in the wrong profession. You know, you could sit at home and make videos and make a lot of money off of it, right? By like saying, hey, this, I, I might start trying that with my goats. By the way, if you hear a goat in a little bit, my dad mentioned that. Uh, it's, his name is Dum-Dum, and he's loud. So if you hear it, that's what he is. Maybe I should make videos off of goats. If you want to find happiness, get yourself a goat. And I'll show you videos of me petting the goat and the goat being cute. I will not show you the videos of him getting his head stuck in the fence. I will not show you the videos of him being gross. I won't show you the videos or let you even know what the smell is like. Any of those things. I'm only going to show you the good things. And man, I'm going to get some money. I'll even sell you the goat. Oh man, that's like next level. See, we see things, we see an image of it, we think it's real, and we develop our goals on that, but that is not what we're supposed to do. We are not supposed to have that goal. Our relationship goals are different. Now, sometimes we get married or get into a relationship, and things don't turn out the way we thought they would turn out. Sometimes they go a little bit sideways, right? How about this? Um, I don't really know all this, but it seems like that whole saying, opposites attract, has been pretty accurate, and, and people that I've talked to over the years and 30 years of ministry and counseling, that opposites do indeed attract. I don't know why, because when you're married, you may be opposite, or when you're engaged or you're dating, you may be opposites, but it's not really all that big of a deal, 
right? Because you're dating, you're, you're in the courting phase. Um, so let's just a show of hands. Think about it. Husbands, wives, those in relationships. It, it, are you opposites? Like the opposites attract? Me and my wife are opposites. I'm going to give you some examples. And I bet more of you are than you realize, right? We, we are like really, really, really opposite in a lot of things. It's interesting, though. When you're dating, opposites might attract. But once you actually get married, opposites attack, right? They really do. Attract, and then you put a ring on and get a piece of paper signed. Now that you start to attack each other, right? Have you noticed what's cute and adorable when you're dating or in your relationship? When you get married, it no longer is cute and adorable. You may say, oh, he is so laid back and, and just easygoing when you're dating. Then you get married, he is lazy, he won't get off the couch, right? Something like that. Money, I mean, how many of you, don't raise your hands on this one, but how many of you in your relationships, one of you is super good with their money, smart with it, coupons some, doesn't overspend. You check your bank account like daily or weekly or some craziness to make sure no charges on there shouldn't be there. If there is a charge, you instantly call and find out about it. That's some of you, right? That's my wife. How many of you are the one, don't raise your hand though, how many of you are the ones that would be like, you can check your bank account? I never even thought about doing that. I just check to see if there's any money in it. Like, yeah, 20 bucks is all I got left. Got to last me the next month. All right. That, that's how I live. But my wife doesn't. See, there's opposites there. There's opposites about that thing and, and opinions of money and how you deal with money. Okay, here's one that y'all probably can guess. Any of you very punctual, always on time? Any of you 10 minutes early is late, right? You grew up that way. You're trained that way. How many of you for being punctual is more of a fluid time of arrival? Yeah, I don't know if you know what Tommy time is, if you're new here. I am like that. I didn't used to be. I want you to know, I grew up in that generation. Be on time. Ten minutes earlier, you're late. You better be there. But I moved to Tucson a few years ago, and I really engaged in that culture of, ah, we'll be on time-ish. And I love that. I'm really good at that now, on time-ish, right? So maybe one of you is really about being on time, and the other one's not. And when you're dating, that wasn't that big of a deal. But then you get married, or the dating relationship gets real serious, and now it's a big deal. It's not adorable anymore. Now you're sitting there going, hurry up. We're going to be late. And then you're already five minutes late before you leave the house, and you go, I don't even want to go. We're already that late, right? Conflict. Opposites attract. Opposites attack once you're in a real, real relationship, right? Okay, what about those that are organized? Is anybody super organized? Everything has a place, and you know it has a place, and that's where it needs to go. If it's not there, you get mad. If it's left on the countertop, you go, why? Why? You put it right here. It was right there's the drawer. That's all you had to do from here to there. Anybody want to admit to that? I see a lot of pointing and elbowing. I want you to know that's me. Even though I'm, I'm late, I am a very organized person. If you go look at my desk right now, not this desk, because that's more of a storage facility. My, uh, my desk at home, everything is very crisp and clean and has a purpose on my desk. Occasionally, there'll be some papers rustled. That is not my wife's way of doing things. I go into her room uh, where she has her office set up, her desk, and there are papers and sticky notes, this much dust on the back because you can't get to it because there's so many cords and cables. It works great for her. doesn't work great for me, right? 
And so it's funny, those things happen to us. Some of those are silly, some of those are not. But what happens is, I'm telling you, opposites attract. Opposites, when they get together, they, when they get married or get into serious relationships, they attack each other. And we need to know that. We need to be prepared for that so we can see it. Because one of the things we talked about was being devil fighting. The Bible tells us the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. It also tells us that the devil is a lion, a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. And so he's actively going to use those differences between us to hurt us. And if your relationship goals are built on some fake image out there, and they're not built on biblical truths, then when he attacks, it's going to end up bad, right? And so it's important for us to notice those things. Remember, let's try again. We're going to do read along again. They're not up on the screen. We want to be Christ-centered. Christ-centered. Better. Keep going. Mission-driven. Mission-driven. Devil-fighting. Devil-fighting. And covenant-keeping. All right, what does this look like? Let's turn to our first scripture. Bless you. Times two. Matthew chapter 19. We're going to start in verse 3. And it'll be on the screen if you want to see that. If you've got your Bible, I encourage you to turn. If you have a phone app, you can look on that too. Or you can just write it down on your little handy-dandy bulletin that's got notes that you want to keep, right? Because you're like, man, i got to remember what Tommy said. You may just write down relate, you know, opposites attract and then opposites attack. But I would like you to write the scriptures too. Matthew Chapter 19, verses 3 and 6. And the Pharisee came up to him and tested him by asking, Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? He answered, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And he said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Look at verse 6. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. Now, we're not going to focus on the top part of that passage. We're going to focus on the last part. We want to talk about the flesh. One flesh. Not two, but one flesh there. We're going to look at some different approaches to marriage this morning. So if you're not married, that's okay. You can pay attention and apply these to other parts of your lives. Or or you might one day get married. Or you might one day have a child that's going to get married. You want to give them advice. Or just a young couple that you know or old couple you know that wants to get married. I'm not, you know, it doesn't matter. You can be 70, 80, still get married. I did a wedding ceremony for somebody that old. It's fine. I said, all right. I, in the verse, in the, in the vows, like you promise to love and cherish until he makes it. Time is short, right? They said, yes. It's okay. It's fine. Someone snorted. I got a snort out of that one. Good stuff. I'm not going to call her out. But I want to talk about this because we're talking about covenants, right? Covenant keeping. And I want to talk about our views on marriage and relationships. Three different views. One is a casual view. One is a contract kind of view. And the other one is a covenant view. Casual is the one that we see a lot in our society now where it's marriage isn't that big of a deal. I mean, I might get married. I might not get married. Maybe you know some people like that. Uh, Maybe I'll get married to somebody in the future. Marriage is just a piece of paper. It really doesn't matter. It's one of those things where they go, all right, well, I like him or I like her, and we're dating. Let's move in together. Let's start doing married things, even though we're not married, right? I bring my toothbrush over, my clothes over, and then something goes sideways. And since you're so casual, guess what happens? I'm out. You take your toothbrush and your clothes and your houseplant with you and you move out. And then you do that again and again and again. It becomes a cycle. And some of you might be in that cycle right now. And I'm not picking on anybody in here. I want you to know that. Just as Christ said, he did not come to condemn, I definitely did not come to condemn. 
But that is a process when you look at relationships in a casual way. And then you do that a few more times until you think, I found the one. Unless you were here week one and you learned you didn't find the one, you found the two, because Christ is the one. But I found the, the two, and I want to marry them, I want to move in with them, and so you do. Our, our world tells us that that's something you're supposed to do. You find that special person after trial and error, you find them, and they're the one that you get married to, right? Well, you get married, and then things go sideways. Even though you might have been living together before, but you were so casual in your relationship, now things start to go sideways. Because remember, opposites attract, and then opposites attack. Those little things that they did before weren't a big deal, even though you lived together, but they started getting a little more complicated. Maybe she squeezes the toothpaste wrong out of the tube. This seems silly, but this is a thing. Maybe she just takes it from, from the middle and squeezes it. That, that's, that's someone that's insane. Why would you do it from the middle? Then it shoots stuff to the back. you got to roll it from the bottom, right? Yeah, some of you, amen? Yeah, that's what I thought. That's a silly thing, but that messes some people up. And that seems like such a silly thing that who would ever fight over that? There's some people in here that have fought over that. In 30 years of ministry, and there's some people, a lot of people I know, that have fought over something as silly as that. What about he won't put the toilet seat down? Anybody? No, you don't have to raise your hand. We got married. Um, I did not put the toilet seat down because I just left the army. I don't think we even had toilet seats. Uh, we couldn't afford those in the army. I, I never thought to put the toilet seat down. At home, my mom, she had a different bathroom, so she really didn't get onto me that hard for that. So I didn't grow up doing that. I didn't have sisters or anything like that. I was the only guy, no big deal, leave it up. When I got married to Kathy, she kind of made it a big deal. Like, why? You need to put the toilet seat down. And guess what I did? Instead of saying, yes, ma'am, or yeah, that's a great idea, I said, no, you should put it down when you need to use it, right? Or you should put it up when you're done. Well, why is it got to be a one-way street here? Well, in the middle of the night, I sit down. I was like, well, you should learn to check. I would check before I sat down on a toilet seat. And it became a thing, right? It really became a thing where I don't know why I dug in my heels in such a stupid thing, but I did. But that's a silly thing, right? How about this? What if they put the mustard up in the wrong place in the refrigerator? It has a place, right? You, whoever did the refrigerator, I'm not saying it's husband, wife, or anything like that, but whoever was in charge of organizing the refrigerator, they probably did so with a purpose. I don't cook at all. I don't cook at all, but guess what? I organized the refrigerator. All right, I've got all the condiments right here, and I've got the tall things here and, and in order so it makes sense. And Kathy will come, or the kids most definitely will come through and take it out, maybe leave it on the counter, maybe put it back in the refrigerator, but nowhere near where it was supposed to be. It's a silly thing. But you know those silly things in a casual relationship, even once they get married, those casual things are enough for them to go, I'm done. Because it was such a casual thing to begin with, a small, petty little thing can be enough for them to go, I want out, I want a divorce. And that right there is why divorce is so high in our country, in our world, honestly, is because many people enter into marriage or that relationship casually. It's just a relationship. It's not that big a deal. They get that piece of paper. It's not like they, they have that marriage certificate and they go to their spouse who's messing up the toothpaste. Look, we signed this, or, or a preacher signed it at least. This is binding. You need to fix that toothpaste so we stay married. I don't, I don't do that. They go, I, you know what? It went sideways. You're not the one for me. I'm going to go find somebody else. And that's what we see in casual dating, casual marriage. The other one is contract-based. Contract-based. This is what that, this one looks like. 
You sign a contract, you expect certain things to happen. If today one of you went over to AT&T or wherever to get a cell phone and you walked in and you said, hey, I'd like a new cell phone, they would be happy to give you one. But they're going to make you sign something, aren't they? You're going to sign a contract that says you're going to pay this much money a month. And if you pay that much money a month, we're going to give you service. It's going to be great. What if you were paying for it and the service stopped? What would you do to that contract? You would break it, right? Like, this is not okay. I have zero cell phone reception for two weeks, but I've been paying you, right? You would be at odds with each other. A contract-based anything is, is, comes from a place of not trusting each other, right? Listen, they don't trust you. No cell phone companies go, you need a cell phone? Here you go, take it, buddy. Pay me whenever you want to, whenever you think's reasonable. That is not what happens. They make you sign it because they don't trust. Your bank, maybe you trust your bank, but your bank doesn't trust you. You can't just walk in and go, hey, I want some money. They're not going to go, great, here you go. I was waiting to give money to somebody. You're going to have to sign something. You're going to have to sign a contract. And some people that are in that world, they view marriages the same way. They get up and do their wedding vows, but instead of doing the traditional, they do the traditional vows to having to hold a sickness and health, richer and poor. But you know what they should have said? I agree to be married to you as long as you uphold your end of the bargain and do this, this, and this. And if you stop doing this, this, and this, or you do this, this, and this, Done. Contract is void. And a lot of people do their marriages and their relationships that way. They enter into this, instead of this place of trust, instead of entering this place of love and trust and intimacy, they enter into, I'll love you as long as you do this. And the other way too. And if either one of you break the contract, out. And that's how a lot of people live in their relationships. Casual, contract, and I love that the C's match. The last one will be covenant. Covenant. A covenant isn't based on this mutual distrust. It isn't based on, um, you know, this temporary thing motivated by selfish uh, needs. It is based on a, a commitment that is uh, unconditional, motivated by sacrificial love for the other person. Now, most of you don't go around and say, I'm going to enter into a covenant, right? That's not a word we use a lot. Most of you don't get married and say, listen, here's my two. I found them, and we're going to get into a covenant together. That's the weirdest thing I've ever heard, right? If you said that, I'd think, you should go to the Methodist church. They might be able to help you with that. They wouldn't. But anyways... uh, it's just a weird thing I would say, right? Because it's not normal for me to hear, oh, we're going to enter into a covenant with each other. If I walked down and said, hey, Scott, me and you are entering this covenant, he would go, that sounds strange. If you heard me say that, you would say, we need to go somewhere else. That's some weird cult at Fredericksburg Church. They brought a goat this morning. Now they're talking about getting into covenants with each other. We are out. Yeah. But it's just not a phrase that we use all the time. And what's interesting, though, the word is used all the time in the Bible. In the Old Testament and the New Testament. And do you know what it means? It means a binding, uh, a, a binding kind of like contract, but a binding commitment made through blood. That's what a covenant is or was in the Old Testament and New Testament. In, in a marriage, in the Old Testament and New Testament, if you saw a Hebrew couple get married, they do all kinds of crazy things. What do we know? We know they like stomp on a glass and say mazel tov and things like that. And I've been to some Jewish weddings and it was pretty fun to watch. Didn't have a clue what was going on. It was fun to watch. But in the older days, especially in the Old Testament and the New Testament time period, they would do what's called binding, right? And I've seen this. I've done this in marriage ceremonies where we take the two people's hands, they hold each hands, and we wrap a cloth around it to bind them together to show two fleshes becoming one. Well, in Jesus' time and before his time, in a a Hebrew wedding, they would nick your hand a little bit, a little cut, 
of some sacrificial clean knife. They wouldn't pull out the pocket knife. <laughs> it's good. All right. Um, they would do that, and they'd hold the couple's hands together, and they'd wrap them then. And then their, their blood would intertwine together. Sounds very unsanitary, right? It is not COVID-approved. But they would do that, and the, the two would become one. And they, they, they do the sacred marriage vows, and they entered into a covenant together. It was making this commitment to each other in front of friends, family, and before God, and they meant it. They meant it with everything inside of them, a sacrificial love. There is no me and you, so divorce isn't an option. It's just us, right? That's what it was meant to be. That's what it looked like. That's why they had that plan. That's what Jesus was referencing when he said, they shall, two shall become one. The two shall become one flesh. There you go. They became that thing there. Now, the thing about that, though, is in the Old Testament, any covenant that was made required blood, not just nicking somebody's hands. That was just for marriage. Let's say Scott and I wanted to have a covenant, Again, sounds weird, right? But let's say we had a covenant that we would take care of each other's families no matter what happened, right? You could enter into that. Well, in the Old Testament, if you're going to do that, do you know what you had to do? You had to sacrifice an animal, like a sheep or even a cute little goat or a bull or something like that, and you'd have it sacrificed. You didn't have to do it necessarily, but the priest would do it, or you could do it yourself. There was no rules. You could do it out in the plains where your sheep were or your goats. And we'd enter this covenant, and we'd, we'd kill the animal. We'd cut it because blood is required. Sometimes they cut it in half, really weird. And then we'd walk around it seven times, which is, I don't know, I'm getting dizzy already. Which is weird, but that's what they did to enter in the covenant. Blood was required to enter into this covenant, and they would do that, right? Walk around it seven times. They did this in the weddings with the hands and all the other kind of stuff. Which leads me to show you another verse in Hebrews, right? So look at Hebrews chapter 13, verse 6. All right, I didn't hear a lot of turning, so you must have it memorized. All right, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 6. Maybe I shouldn't have put my sticky over it. <laughs> So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper, I will not fear. What can man do to me? That is not the verse I wanted. Well, poop. <laughs> Hold on, let me see if I can find it. Ah, there it is, verse 4, not verse 6. My bad, guys, even if it's on the screen, it's wrong. Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, undefiled for God will judge the sexual sexually immoral and adulterous. Well, I'm going to focus on honoring the marriage bed right now because that's a whole other sermon series on the second part of that verse, which we can do, but not right now because I would have to give a parental warning. Let marriage be held in honor among all, right? Let marriage be held in honor among all. Who did it say that needs to honor marriage? One more time with confidence. All, right? Let everyone, everyone, it means, even the Greek word here means everyone. When it says all, it means every single person. Because they were showing you, we all have to choose to honor. We all have to choose to honor covenants. We all have to choose that these covenants are real. Throughout the Bible, we've seen covenants. We saw Adam and Eve enter a covenant with God. We saw Moses or Noah. Then we saw Moses. We saw David, right? And now with Christ, through Christ, we've entered into a new covenant time. God makes a covenant with us. This is where we shift from marriage to a little more personal. He made that covenant with us, and that covenant matters, and we must choose to follow 
the covenant. We must choose to honor the marriage bed. We must choose to honor marriage. We must choose to honor the covenant that he has given to us. The choice is yours and mine, right? I want to choose to be Christ-centered. There's a big difference. I said this week one. Big difference between calling yourself a Christian, right? And being centered around Christ. I want to choose to keep Christ as my one, or my whole life revolves around Christ. He made the covenant with me. I'm going to try to keep it. I'm going to try to keep my life Christ-centered. No need to raise hands. There's a lot of people in here that throughout the day, guess what? Christ is not one. Your whole life does not revolve around Him. It should, but even for me, some days it does not. What takes its place? Jobs, spouse, kids, self, Football team, I don't know, maybe a goat. I don't know. But, but throughout the day, as we go through life, that's what we see. Maybe you started out, you woke up, Christ is one, but then something happened and Christ moves out of one and something else takes its place. Maybe it's kids because you're trying to get them ready in the morning to go to school and you're doing all the things and, and you don't have time for Jesus. You only have time for kids. You have time for Jesus. He should still be one. Still take care of your kids. I'm not saying neglect them. But you've got to be careful. Every day we have to choose to keep putting Christ first, to keep putting Him first, because we're going to be Christ-centered in everything, in our relationships, in our own personal lives. And then you remember, we're going to choose to be mission-driven. We're going to choose to go out and be on mission for God wherever we are. The two types of people when the Bible says go, therefore, right, are those that go out in the mission field. Like they move to some crazy country where no one knows Jesus. Or for me, I moved to Tucson to try to convince a lot of people to accept Christ that didn't want to, right? We're on the mission field. We go out. We go places. The vast majority of us are not going to do that. You're just not called to do that. So how do you handle go? Jesus commands you to go. Go wherever you are. When you go out to eat, share Jesus there. I gave you a practical thing to do, didn't I? Ask your waiter or waitress how you can pray for them. It's amazing. You're sharing the love of Christ by just asking someone how to pray for them. Smile at them. You can ask them how they're doing, but be prepared for them to give you a real answer. And if they ask you, give a real answer too. Don't fake it. So we are supposed to be mission-driven, whether we're going on mission field or we're on mission where we are. Remember, God made you, uniquely created you, uniquely placed you wherever you are. You think you chose that, but you did not. You have the job you have, you work with the people you do, you live where you live with the neighbors you have, so that you can be a light to them. You're being on mission to those in your life. And last week, we talked about devil fighting. And again, for some of you, you kind of left with wide eyes because you were like, whoa. I grew up this, and we didn't talk about that stuff. We talked about that the devil is real. He is real, and he is active, and he is so good at his job, and he wants to destroy you. He wants to destroy your marriage. He wants to destroy your relationships. He wants to destroy the relationships you have with your children, kids. He wants to destroy the relationship you have with your parents. Whenever a marriage ends, whenever a kid doesn't want to talk to their parents anymore, or a parent you know, kicks the kid out, guess what happens? The devil smiles. Because that is a part of his plan. And I told you that it was real, and it's something you have to be alert for. You can't just go, ah, it's no big deal. He's not real. He is, and he's actively trying to destroy you and everything in your life because that's what the devil does, and he's good at it. This week, we brought up this whole covenant thing, right? This covenant that we're supposed to do. I am supposed to be in a covenant with him. Covenant keeping. And so my relationship with God 
cannot just be a casual relationship where I go, eh, you know, I mean, I love God and He's there and all that kind of stuff. I, I go to church every once in a while. That's okay. I'll just hang out with Him. And some of you hear that and you go, yeah, that makes sense. I mean, I don't enter into some crazy thing. I don't remember me killing a bull and walking around it seven times with God. Or I'm just not going to take it all that serious because I know He loves me no matter what. It's no big deal. Uh, it's a casual relationship with God. Casual. He's going to forgive me anyways. Why do I need to really follow any kind of rules, right? Because for, for, he says that. The free gift of God, eternal life through Jesus Christ, right? So why do I need to follow any rules? Why do I need to talk to him? Why do I need to be a light to anybody else? Because it's casual, casual relationship with God. The other one is, is a, a contract, a contractual relationship with God. Okay, God, let's make a deal. I'm going to love you. I'm going to follow you. I'm going to go to church on Sunday morning. I'm going to read my Bible at least three minutes a week. I'm going to put $20 in the offering plate. All right, God, I did my part. Now I expect you to do your part, right? I expect you to bless my family. Don't let anybody get sick. Make my kids not crazy. Make my spouse stop squeezing the toothpaste tube in the middle because that's insane, right? You're going to make this deal with God. God, I'll do this, this, and this as long as you do this, this, and this. And then... He doesn't do what you thought he should do. And guess what happens? I'm done with you, God. You broke the contract. That's what happens when you enter into a relationship with a contract or you enter a relationship with God with a contract. That's not what it's supposed to look like. Devil fighting, right? That kind of thing. Some of you enter this relationship with God and don't even think the devil's real. And yet he is. If God's real, the devil's real. Because this tells us it is. Right? And so it's something that you have to acknowledge, something you have to work on in your life and realize that you are at spiritual warfare. We talked about it last week, that you have a fortress around you. And wherever your weak spot is, the devil will find and exploit. If your weakness is when you're dating somebody, doing things that only married people should do, he's going to fight you there. If your weakness is getting mad at your kids, He's going to fight you there. If your weakness is something on the computer you shouldn't be watching, his weakness is there. If your weakness is going to the horse races, it's happening today at 2, and you bet your rent and lose your rent, he's going to attack you there. He's going to attack you. And in your relationship with God, he's going to attack you. He's going to be the one that whispers in your ear and says, See, you promised to love God, and he didn't do anything for you. He didn't, he didn't keep you from getting sick. He didn't take away this problem. He didn't make you suddenly win a million dollars so you could pay off all your debt, even though you made a deal with him that you would, right? See, he didn't do that because you entered into this weird contract thing and then you allowed the devil to get between you and God. But covenant, oh man, a covenant with God is so much more powerful. The covenant that Christ made with us is so much more powerful. It's how we keep him Christ-centered. It's how we are mission-driven. It is how we fight the devil. We are a member of the covenant. Now, Jesus offered a covenant to us freely. And it doesn't matter. You can't outdo his love. It doesn't matter how much good things you do or how many good things you do. It doesn't make Christ love you anymore. Listen to me, everybody, because some of you haven't heard this before or you didn't pay attention. No matter what you do, you cannot make God love you more. There is no greater love than He has. 
He already loves you that much. So you can't somehow keep track. All right, I shared the gospel this time, this time, this time, this time. I mean, God has to love me, I don't know, five times more than he loves Scott. Because Scott just sits there, right? There's no way. God's got to love me more than Scott because I did this. That's a contract. That's not what our relationship with God is supposed to be. It is a covenant. And you will not make him love you more. Conversely, he's not going to love you less. You can't look at yourself and go, man, look at all the stuff I've done. There's no way that God loves me. I'm not even going to talk to him. That's casual. That's saying it's not even a big deal. And many people in this room, because I've talked to you about it, many people in the 30 years I've been in ministry, thousands and thousands of people have felt that way, that I can't go to God. I can't do those scriptures where it says, approach the throne of grace with confidence. I can't do that. Do you know all that I've done? I personally, guys, have felt those feelings like, man, if the congregation knew the Tommy, the Tommy that was in, in the military, the Tommy that had some temper issues, they would not want to listen to me. There's no way. We feel those things. We have those things in our minds, and we apply it to our relationship with God. We are scared to go pray to him, whether it be because he didn't fulfill what we asked before, or we're not worthy to even talk to him. But I want you to understand the covenant very clearly. We're going to rush through some scriptures because it's time. The goat is hot, I'm sure. Look at Matthew 26, verse 28. This is when Jesus gave them the Lord's Supper. For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Here, Christ tells them the covenant's going to happen. When he dies and his blood is spilt, right? The forgiveness of sins is covered by my sacrifice. And then look at Hebrews 12, uh, 24. Where's that one on mine? There it is. And to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks better word than the blood of Abel. That's taken reference to all the different covenants that were made in the Old Testament. Blood was required for every single one of them. A sacrifice was required. Blood was required for every covenant that was made. Something cost. Jesus' blood was the cost of this covenant. And then probably the one that everyone knows the most, last verse for the morning, John 3, 16. I bet almost everybody in the room could quote it in some way. Let's read 16 and 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. I always heard it saying, whoever believeth in him, right? Anybody else? Not a word we use every day. Believeth. I'm going to start using that, though. I'm going to tell my kids, you're going to do great in this race. I believeth in you, right? Verse 17, For God did not send His Son to the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. Well, that's the plan. That's the covenant. Remember I told you you can't make God love you anymore? He already loved you enough to send His Son. There is no greater love than that. If you don't have kids, maybe you don't understand that. But if you have kids, you do. If you've ever had a child or someone you care about, to think the thought of sacrificing their life for someone else. <laughs> no. I wouldn't do it. Ever. But God loves you so much that he did that. That means that's a high level of love. And no matter what you think, you can't make him love you more or less. Even you that have never followed God, that have turned your back on him, that said, ah, <laughs> I don't want anything to do with you, God. He didn't go, well, because of that, I'm going to love you a little less. No, no. He loves you. Each one of us in this room the same. Whether you think you're worthy or not. Whether the person next to you thinks you're worthy or not. He loves 
you. And so this morning, what I want us to do is I want us to, to maybe shift, some of us, our view of the relationship we have with God and the view we have with our relationships with each other. Are they casual? Casual with a married couple? Casual with dating? Any kind of relationship? Is it just casual? Ah, it's no big deal. If it works out, it works out. That's casual. Good chance of not working out, just so you know. Is it contractual? I'll be your friend as long as you do this. I'll be your wife or husband as long as you do this and this. Is it contractual of God? God, I'll follow you as long as you do this, this, and this. But if you do this and this, I'm out. Or is your relationship, are your relationships covenant-based? We make a, a, a covenant with each other to be there for each other in sacrificial love. No, no sacrificing a bull or something, just saying, man, I'm going to enter into this, and I'm going to love this person whether they love me or not. I'm going I'm to be a great dad to these kids whether they like show thankfulness or not. It's probably not going to happen, just so you know, right? I'm going to love them as best I can. And how about with God? I'm going to enter in this relationship with God knowing that He loves me so much that He paid the ultimate price for me. And I'm going to honor that. I'm going to live in a place where it's not about me being good enough. I'm going to live in a place where it's not about me having that scale. Like, oh man, Tommy, you're down seven for the day. You need to get better tomorrow. God's keeping track of your sins and you're not good enough. That is not what happens. That's not what any of these verses says. The new covenant isn't a barter system. It's not very casual. It's not a contract. The new covenant is a deal where God loves you. And so this morning we're going to pray for that. We're going to pray that each of us think about our relationships a little differently today. We're going to pray that all of us think about our relationship with God a little different today. Because I know many in the room still live in a world where you think God can only love you if you're good enough. This is not what he said. When Jesus cried out from the cross, it is finished, he didn't say it's finished just for you that are good enough. It's finished for everyone. Close your eyes. Let's pray together. God, I thank you for every man, woman, and child in this room today. Even the goat that was here earlier, Lord, I thank you. Father, I really do thank you that you allow us to worship you. And this morning, Lord, I want to pray for each of us. Father, will you help us to think about our relationships? Will you help us to think about our relationship with you? Will you help us to do some rearranging in our lives? Will you help us to honor this covenant that you've made with us? Eyes still closed. I'm going to stop talking. I want you to review your relationships. I want you to think about what's going on. And I want you to talk to God on your own. Eyes closed. You do it. You talk. Eyes still closed. And you can keep praying, it's okay. Eyes still closed. I hope that you're willing to daily review your relationships. 
And think about those three C's. Man, am I being casual, contractual, or is this a covenant? And what do I need to change to get to the covenant? Your marriages, other relationships, and most importantly, your relationship with God. He loves you. Now, eyes still closed. Some of you, you're understanding this morning for the first time that it's not about you being good enough. This is a free gift that God gives to you. The Bible says if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. Saved from trying to be good enough. Saved from trying to keep track of your sins and the good things you do and hoping it all washes out in the end. Saved. The blood has been shed. The blood of Jesus. You just have to say a prayer. Something like this. God, I'm a sinner. I admit it that I make mistakes. I admit it that I try to do things on my own. But I ask you to forgive me. Forgive me from all these dumb things I've done over the years. And God, please forgive me for all the dumb things I'm going to do in the future. But I surrender to you. I want you to be in charge of my life. I don't understand it all, but I believe that you sent your son and he died for me. And wow, rose from the grave for me. So I surrender to you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Some prayer like that, you become a Christian. It doesn't have to be word for word what I just said. The Bible, if it meant to be a word for word prayer, then they